verses 54 through chapter 8, verse 4. Please hear the word of God. Now when they, and they being the Sanhedrin, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, and he being Stephen, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we have read your word and as we have spent these last several weeks looking at Stephen's sermon in uh, great detail, so now we see the results of his sermon. Father, I ask that as we uh, look at the hatred that was directed towards Stephen, But more importantly, as we look at your love for Stephen, even in the midst of his faithfulness, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, even as we experience the difficult circumstances of life, or as we step out in faith and follow you into um, circumstances that uh, would bring us suffering. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I alluded to in my prayer, we have been looking at Stephen's sermon uh, for these last several weeks. The question I have this morning for you is, should Stephen have preached this sermon? Looking at the results of his sermon, it seems as if Stephen's decision to preach the sermon was ill-advised. Let's look at the results of this sermon, and you have an outline on the back of your bulletin uh, if you want to use that. The first sub-point, however, is I made a mistake and left out an important word. The first sub-point under the first point, Stephen's sermon did convert anybody it was supposed to be, did not convert anybody. We don't hear a dissenting voice among the angry rejection of the Sanhedrin. We're not even given a glimpse of a soul who turned to God as a result of this sermon. 
and Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, devoted 52 verses to this sermon that we've been looking at over the past several weeks. He devoted 52 verses, and yet this sermon seemed like it just bounced off of the hearers. Stephen's sermon did not convert anybody. In fact, Stephen's sermon only stirred up more anger against him. And not only anger against him, but anger against the other Christians living in Jerusalem. That was the real effect of this sermon, was to stir the Sanhedrin's anger up. They were enraged. They were even more angry at the end of his sermon than when he began. The Sanhedrin had got, they, they met together in this great hallowed hall. There were 71 elders of Jerusalem there that were sitting in judgment on Stephen. They were an august body of, of, um, of Jews there who were um, who were who were uh, sitting before Stephen as he gave his defense but look at how they are acting look at verse 54 now when they heard these things they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him verse 57 says that they cried out with a loud voice they stopped their ears and they rushed at him Can you see them snarling at Stephen? They're grinding their teeth at him. Can you see them covering their ears and yelling at the top of their voices to drown out his voice so that they don't have to hear him anymore? And then they're rushing at him and grabbing him. They haul him out of the court. They haul him through the city, through the streets and out through the city gates and down to an area that is laden with many stones. The third result of Stephen's sermon is that it got him killed. Look at verse 58. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. When a person was stoned, uh, what would happen would be those who were the accusers, they were required, first of all, to cast the first stone. And instead of throwing a stone from afar and instead of it being a smaller rock, they would take a large rock and they would heave it up and they would stand right beside them and they would um, smash the accused on the head. And it was only after this initial blow that the others then picked up stones and hurled them and, and threw them until the person died. Stephen's sermon got him killed. Not only that, Stephen's sermon also resulted in a widespread persecution breaking out against the church. And so there are results that extend even beyond his death. Stephen's death seemed to embolden the Jews 
so that they then began to persecute other Christians. Look at uh, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Saul approved to this execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And that brings us to another result. Not only was a great persecution begun against the church, but Stephen's sermon resulted in many displaced Christians. As I pointed out before earlier in this series on Stephen's sermon, there in the ancient Near East there was no safety net like we have in our society today. They had no social security. They had no unemployment. Uh, there were no multiple branches, uh, you know, banks like uh, when I moved from South Carolina uh, down to Florida, we had Regions Bank and. Then we found Regions Banks here in Tampa uh, where we could draw our money out. They didn't have that. They couldn't go down to an ATM and draw out their savings. When they fled Jerusalem, all that they could take with them was what they could carry or what they could load onto a cart. Many thousands had become Christians in Jerusalem. We saw on the day of Pentecost many thousand coming to Christ. We saw in subsequent sermons other thousands coming to Christ. Now most of these thousands are running for their lives with their families in tow with, with just the, the very basic uh, things that they can carry with them for their survival. They were fleeing with no safety net. They were fleeing with no assurance that they would remain safe. In fact, as you look at chapter 8, verse 3, we find out that many of those Christians did not remain face, uh, did not remain safe. Many were thrown into jail, verse 3. But Paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. It is very easy for us to dissociate our, ourselves from these early Christians since they lived so long, since they lived so long ago, and since they are since rather we live in a country where we are able to worship God um, in freedom. It, it just it's hard to grasp what they must have gone through. It's, it's very easy to just dissociate ourselves from them, even though they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We live in such um, such a, a, a wonderful society uh, where we have so much freedom. It's hard to, or rather, it's easy to forget that we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world today that are languishing in jails simply because of their um, claim that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. I asked this question several weeks ago as we first started looking at Stephen's sermon. I'm going to ask it again now. If you were a Christian and you were living in Jerusalem at this time when Stephen preached his sermon and you were the parent of small children... Would you be supportive of Stephen's decision to preach this sermon? Would you have urged him on 
even if it meant that you had to run away from your home, run away from your job, run away from your possessions, or more challenging, would you have urged Stephen on to preach his sermon if it meant that you and your spouse would be cast into jail? As I considered this, it caused me to raise the question, would God have been pleased if Stephen had decided not to stir the pot? If Stephen had counted the cost and looked at the possible results, realized that he probably would be ineffective in converting anybody that he's preaching to, that um, it would only enrage them, that it would get him probably killed, and even if he were to foresee that uh, there were a persecution that might likely break out against others, would God have been pleased if Stephen were able to forecast that in his own mind and decided that it might not be the wisest thing to preach this sermon? Would Stephen have been faithful if he chose not to preach this sermon? Or more to the point for us, are we as Christians allowed to avoid acts of faith that might cause us to suffer hardship? What if you feel convinced in your heart that God's calling you to be a missionary somewhere else? And you look and you start counting the cost. You look at the possible results and decide that the cost is too high for you to follow what you think God's telling you to do. And would God be happy with you choosing the alternative, choosing not to go. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. By definition, that means that we cannot live strictly by sight. In other words, we as Christians are going to be called by God to live in a fashion that many around us will think is ill-advised or irrational. God calls His people to live differently than the world. God calls His people because He calls them to live by faith in Him. He calls His people to live at a different plane. He calls us to step out in faith when we can't see the next step. So the question is, when God calls us to do these things, is His call optional? Can you pick and choose which things you want to do? Can you decide what level of faith that you want to exercise in your life? Can you decide how much suffering you are willing to endure before you choose how faithful you want to be in following God? Well, God, I'll go be a missionary in, in England, but not in Uganda. Do you have that option? Is the question I'm raising this morning. Now, one of the first questions, and maybe you've already raised it in your mind, is, well, how do we know what God is calling us to do? Isn't that the question? Or how do we know 
when God is calling us to do something that might cause us hardship or might cause hardship for someone else, like one of your family members. Well, I can say if you find it written in the Word of God, if God instructs you from His Word, then you can know for certain that God is calling you to do it. For example, you are called to love your enemy. This is not optional. And nor is it easy. And if your enemy is a family enemy that is, that is the enemy of your entire family, when you embark in obedience to God and love that person who is your enemy, the rest of your family might call you uh, crazy or might be... Uh, or might or might call you something even worse. You are also called to carry each other's burdens. You are also called to put Christ and His kingdom before your own life and your own family. And we could go on with command after command. These sorts of things we are called to do. These things are not optional. But what about things that God's Word does not speak explicitly to? In fact, Stephen was not explicitly told to preach this sermon. So how did Stephen know that God was calling him to preach this sermon? Stephen did not make his decision based on an examination of the possible results. I don't believe Stephen hesitated for one moment. I, believe, I don't believe that he sat down and counted the cost. I don't believe that he sat down and thought about the possible results. Um, I submit to you that he, this decision was an easy decision for him because he made this decision based on the glory of God. What had happened was the Sanhedrin had denied Christ and they arrested Stephen and told him he may not preach in this name anymore and that he may not tell others about the grace of Christ. And for Stephen... For him to be silent when he was hauled in front of the Sanhedrin, that would have been catamount if he had been silent to a denial of Christ. In our affluent, in our relatively trouble-free society, we often choose comfort over the glory of God. We walk by sight rather than by faith, more than we would like to admit. We live more like the world than Christ. We live more like the world than we live by Christ more often than we recognize or realize. And I want to make one point here that's not reflected in your outline. It's an important point, and that is God has the right to make our lives difficult. God has the right to make our lives difficult. He has the right to call us to do things that will cause us suffering. He has the right to call us to do things that will cause our loved ones suffering. And when He calls us to to do what He's calling us to do, He always calls us to rejoice in those sufferings that we endure. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials. Paul says he rejoices in his sufferings. 
Our God is God. Our God is good. Our God loves His people. And God is working all circumstances together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And when He calls us to step out in faith, and when stepping out in faith results in our suffering or in other people's suffering, God is not asleep. He is present, He is active, and He is using those circumstances that cause us such pain. He is using those circumstances for His glory. And, even though we can't see it all the time, He is using those circumstances for our benefit. So what were some of the benefits of Stephen's sermon? Well, first, the first benefit of Stephen's sermon was Stephen was faithful to Christ, which which is all that matters. Being faithful to Christ is its own benefit. How would you like to stand before the judgment seat of Christ after you've died and you lived your life with your main goal as avoiding suffering, avoiding difficult circumstances, uh, trying to be comfortable in life, trying to earn a good living. That was your main goal in life. How would you like to stand before Christ with that as, as the way you lived your life? But what if Christ is your what if Christ's glory is your goal and that is the way you live your life here on this earth and you stand before him after you die? Standing before him will be the consummation of your joy. You live with his glory as your chief goal, seeing and experiencing his glory in an unhindered way, well that is the consummation. Of your, glory, of your joy. Look at verses 55 and verse 56. Verse 55. But he, this being Stephen, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. For Stephen to see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen knew that Jesus was giving approval to his decision to preach this sermon. He was giving approval to every word that he spoke to that Sanhedrin. God was giving Stephen a taste of heaven before he actually got there. At the risk of taking away from the momentum of my sermon, I want to make a side note. It has been my experience as a, a pastor, I get to see a number of people um, live through their last days here on earth. I get to see them move through the death process. And it is my conviction that God gives His people a taste of heaven before they get there. I've seen it too many times. I can give you story after story. Now, because we we want people that are going through the death process to be as comfortable as possible, we give them a lot of heavy medication. So we don't get to experience with them oftentimes, we don't get to experience with our loved ones the joy that they have at being God's child. 
because they're, they're typically a lot of narcotics and things like that. And that's not necessarily bad to take away the pain and, and suffering and make, make that transition easy. But we don't get to see the joy that they have uh, sometimes as they are moving toward, um, toward the goal of seeing their Savior face to face. I'm going to end the side note there without telling any of the stories uh, as um, time would, uh, would restrict. But I want to challenge you to ask this question. When you are faced with uh, making various life decisions, whether small decisions or bigger decisions, I want you to ask this question. What will bring Christ the most glory? I don't think we we consider that question sometimes in our decision-making process. Stephen decided to preach this sermon simply because it it would bring Christ's glory. So ask yourself this question. What will bring Christ the most glory as I make this decision? And see how your priorities begin to change. See how this informs your decision-making process. And so the first benefit of Stephen's sermon was that he was faithful to Christ, which is his own benefit in itself. The second benefit is a surprising benefit, and that is that Saul's conversion was prayed for. Look at verse 58. They cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. God rules history. But he uses our prayers in some way that I cannot completely understand. He uses our prayers to unfold history, the history that he has, that he rules. Now before you become puffed up with pride and think, my prayers control God, that's not what happens at all. Rather, God is also working in you. He is directing your prayers so that your prayers then um, He uses to unfold His plan as it unfolds in history. And so we're going to meet this man named Saul who is giving approval to uh, Stephen's death. In fact, we'll meet him, and his name is changed to Paul. We'll meet him in uh, chapter 9, Acts 9, as he's converted onto Damascus Road. I believe that Stephen's prayer, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, God used for Saul's conversion. And of course Saul became Paul, apostle to the Gentiles. The third benefit, and this is a benefit for all of us here in this room, the third benefit of Stephen's sermon was that the gospel was preached outside Jerusalem. Look at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, God said, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uh, further ends of the earth. This is how God went about doing it. God used Stephen's sermon 
and the hatred of the Sanhedrin and the persecution that broke out against the church to move his gospel outside of Jerusalem on out into Judea, on out into Samaria, on out into the Gentile regions. In other words, God used Stephen's sermon so that we might hear the gospel. Jesus died to pay for our sins. Stephen died that we might hear about the salvation that Jesus purchased for us. We are the intended beneficiaries of Stephen's sermon. I made that statement at the beginning. No one was converted by Stephen's sermon. I submit to you that we owe our conversion in some measure to Stephen's sermon. Let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, You are the ruler of history. And we are your people bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Everything that you do is good. Everything you do for us is for our benefit and for your glory. God, I ask that you would help us to have the grace to rejoice in you, to trust in you when the things that come our way end or result in our suffering. Lord, I know there are many in this community, undoubtedly uh, many in this congregation, whose bank account is suffering. Lord, whose health is suffering. Whose family life is suffering. God, help us to trust in you. Help us to be steadfast in our faith in Christ. But Father, in remaining steadfast, help us not to remain planted like that man who took that talent and buried it in the ground without reinvesting it. Father, help us to step out in faith and to go where you call us. To be relentless like Stephen was. Knowing that you will take care of us. And that where you send us, when we go, it will issue forth in blessings untold. Even though we don't always see them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.